you all so much. The mission field in every community is within reach of every church. Let's not walk by the fatherless. Rather, let's put our faith into action. Our good Lord is a father to the fatherless, and he wants us to do the same. Love is action. So fatherless boys who don't know their father will know their heavenly father's love. Will your church mentor the fatherless in your community so they will know? Defend the cause of the fatherless. Learn more by visiting our website. Well, good morning. Glad to have you here this morning. Glad to be here, I hope. Uh, I see there's a smattering of teens and younger people in here. That's really good because the first thing I'm going to talk about today is this coming week is final exams. Isn't that exciting? Didn't you love finals week? What happens to you before a final exam? What's going through your head before a final exam? You say to yourself, what's going to be on this test? What will they ask, you will be saying to yourself. And did I study the right things? And so uh, all of the anxiety of that, now I got to tell you, that's like decades in the past for me. Uh, even going back to postgraduate school, even going back to seminary, I mean, those are still like dim memories in the closet. But there's one memory that I carry with me from over 40 years ago that was not a written final exam, but it was a, an interview. It was, if you will, an interrogation. It was called the Command Qualification Interview Screening. So I had taken about a 10-hour written exam, and I had passed that exam. I don't know how I passed that exam, because they can ask you anything about everything having to do with being in command of a ship. And then I had to go before this board. Now, these are Air Force guys, um, and I recognize that, you know, that's a suboptimal picture. It was the best picture I could find of what my memory was of what happened. Because the Commodore of our destroyer squadron and five of the commanding officers were sitting around this table with me at the end as their meat. And they were ready to devour. And before I went into it, I thought to myself, oh, they could ask this, they could ask that, but what, what will they ask? And what I knew for sure was that there were many more things that I could think of that I didn't know than the things that I did know that I should know in order to be the commanding officer of a ship. And they knew that too. And so then I went through the exam. It was two hours of terror, wondering what the next question was going to be. Somehow got qualified. So that was like 40-some years ago. Now, let me ask you, does that bring any anxiety to you? Because we're going to be talking about a final exam. We're going to be talking about the possibility of that. Now, I'm my, uh, some of you don't know me. My name is Mick Kevill. I'm the senior pastor. If you're new with us today, get used to sea stories. I'm sorry. Anytime the old guy comes up here, it's going to be something to do with a sea story. Uh, when the young guy's up here, it's usually going to have something to do with out of the orange. So, one of, you know, those are your choices. Uh, so, welcome today, whether you're here in the seats or whether you're watching us on stream. Those of us that are at the Madison County Correctional Facility who will be watching this later in the week, we welcome you to 
think with us today as we, we go through preparation for a massive final exam. Now, what do I mean by that? What we're going to be talking about ultimately today, because it's a special thing, is fathers in the field. It is a, it is a ministry coming out of Colorado that is basically here to equip us as a church to meet a mandate to help us face the final exam as a church and as individuals in an area where more than likely, if we go through, if you go through with me today, what we're going to be talking about, you're going to recognize we've got some work to do. And the culture has some work to do. This is a a vital, important uh, theme in our culture, and it is a vitally important theme in Scripture, and we're going to see that. So we're going to be talking about that today. So Here's the question. Will Jesus' followers have a final exam? You know, there's an old method of talking to people about Jesus where you go to them, and it's called the Kennedy question, and you ask a person, if you were to die today and go to heaven and stand before God, and he should ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Well, in the last few months, a lot of people have figured out with the messages that we've, and matter of fact, it's been a number of years, but especially in the last few months because Cooper has a passion for encouraging people to make a decision in that moment here in the church to put their faith in Christ. And so the, I'll give you, this is, this is Cliff Notes. This is Cliff Notes. So if, if that question is something that you're not sure how to answer, what you might be tempted to say is something like, well, I've been going to church. I've been, you know, but let's face it, you know, just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're a car, right? Uh, So I've been going to church is really not going to be a great answer to that question. Well, I've done a lot of good things, but you know something? I've also done a lot of not so good things. So all of those things don't really add up to spending time in eternal bliss with God Okay, in a place that's totally holy, because if I go there with my good and my bad, I am going to be messing it up. And so if you've, you're answering that question with anything but this, I put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who died for me on Calvary's cross. He substituted, he took the penalty for my sin. When you answer God that way, that you're trusting in his son, you're going to walk through that door. But that's not the final exam I'm talking about today. What's this one going to be like? Because this is for Jesus' followers. This is for those who are going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus because of what he's done, with the Father because of what Jesus did for you. This is for us. And we're going to go to two passages in the letters of First and Second Corinthians that the Apostle Paul, who was one of Jesus' early followers, who originally wasn't a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was fighting the church. Jesus appeared to him supernaturally on the road to Damascus, led him to believe that he was truly the Messiah, and Paul's life completely turned around, and Paul planted churches all over. One of those churches he planted was in a city called Corinth, and Corinth was a lot like our culture. It was cosmopolitan, it was very successful, very prosperous, but it was also very pagan, it was also very pleasure-seeking, and all of those kind of things that we run into in our culture. And he had, in these two letters that he wrote, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, these letters that he wrote to the believers there were, are, in my mind, are very, very applicable 
to the times in which we live. And there's two places in, first of all, in 1 Corinthians, where he says this. And he's talking about the fact that as followers of Jesus, we're meant to be building the kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church. How's he going to do that? He's going to build his church by his followers building his church. Okay? And it said, and there was controversy going on in Corinth, and the Apostle Paul wrote this to them. He said, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if we're going to build God's kingdom, it's built on Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Now that sounds, sounds a little ominous, doesn't it? What does he mean by the day? Uh, silver, gold, silver, costly stones. That, that sounds like good things. That sounds like you're really making a, a big intentional investment in building what God wants built. But wood, hay, or straw, this kind of reminds you of the three little pigs, doesn't it? A little bit. Uh, using wasteful materials, materials that don't last. And then he says, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, if that fire is a metaphor, it doesn't mean the fire of hell, okay? That's a separate thing. This is for believers, those who are going to be in the presence of God. So what does it mean by that fire? And if what has been built survives, in other words, survives the day, survives the scrutiny, the testing, if you will, the builder will receive a reward. So that's the final exam. That's the final inspection. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. If you got that wood, hay, and stubble, straw, what's going to happen to it when it's examined? It's going to be burning up. And yet, but yet will be saved. In other words, they will be with God in heaven, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So the question that we need to ask ourselves at this point is what is the day? So Paul then goes to 2 Corinthians, and in another letter to the same group of people that were following Jesus in Corinth, he says, for we, followers of Jesus, and he's including himself, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the day. That's the test. That's where all of what we've been doing with the freedom that we've gained by becoming a follower of Jesus the freedom from guilt, the freedom from shame, the freedom from fear of not going to heaven, all of those freedoms that we have, Jesus is going to be asking, what would you do with that? Did you use wood, hay, and stubble? Because if you did, when I look at it, poof, it's going to be gone. The things that were gold, silver, and costly stones, the things that you really sacrificed to make available to build the kingdom, that's going to survive, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In other words, did I build the kingdom or not? So that's kind of where we are as human beings. This is what's going to happen. So the question would be, are there any questions you hope are not on that final exam? Are there things that you're saying to yourself, I know I'm not doing too good with this. And I'm hoping to put one of those in your mind today. I'm hoping to put an area of God's priority and passion into your thinking so that when you leave this place, you'll not only be motivated or feel more loving or feel challenged, but you will feel the need to act to make a difference.
in this whole area that we're going to be talking about. So this is in the same series that we've been talking about, Heart Eyes for the Fatherless. Heart Eyes is our series through 1 John. I want you to notice this passage, this, passage, this uh, verse from 1 John. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So you know that this whole letter has been about loving God, loving people, right? So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. Again, that day of judgment that he's talking about is for believers. John is saying the same thing as the Apostle Paul. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. We have his mind, we develop his attitudes, and we develop his actions, his habits of how to treat others, how to live and walk with God, abide in God, and then to have God use us as a conduit for his love to other people. And specifically, today, we're talking about this as it applies to these three questions. So these are three questions you can ask yourself right now. If this is on the final exam, when we come to that judgment seat of Christ, how are you going to answer? And so the question is this. Do you align with my compassion for the fatherless and the widow? Now, we don't memorize a lot of verses about that. But if you do a word search on fatherless and widow with your, with your Bible computer program, or if you have a concordance, some of you are saying, what is that? It's an actual book that has these lists for you that, that does this. But do you align with my compassion for the fatherless and the widow? Ask yourself that right now. Do you think you do? Are you concerned about them? Does it matter to you that we live in a broken world? Remember, we said in a broken world we live. One of the things that has broken this world is the breakdown of the home and the fatherlessness in the homes that are there. So does that matter to God? And if it matters to Him, then I would think that at the judgment seat of Christ, when He's kind of examining what our life was like, that this is one of the things that's probably going to come up. You know, when I went to that, to that uh, command qualification board, I was thinking, they can't ask everything in two and a half hours. So... What are they most likely to ask? I mean, it was everything across engineering. It was everything across weapons. And it was everything about the, the uh, enemy threats. It was everything about how to handle personnel and what, what the uh, judicial stuff was that has to do with All of that was on the table. But I had to be thinking to myself, what? but when I got there, it was like they were, they were, you know, each of those five captains and the Commodore had their own thing that they were passionate about. So you want to ask yourself, what's God passionate about? And I think you're going to see evidence that this is pretty serious matter with him. So in Deuteronomy chapter 24, this is written by Moses around 1400 B.C. And he's talking about what's it going to be like when you enter the promised land from your 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and Israel's going into the promised land. He says, now this is something you need to make a provision for before they even get there. And as they've been wandering in the wilderness, they've been provided for by God, right? There's been, there's been manna, there's been, God's made water available when they needed it, all those kind of things. It says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. 
Well, isn't there a lot of issues about foreigners in our culture right now? We don't have a ministry that's, that's uh, working on that, but one thing at a time, I guess. Um, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. And then in Isaiah, now we're talking another 600 years later, 700 years later. Now Isaiah is writing because they haven't been paying attention to that. It's one of the many things that Israel ignored about the instructions that God gave them through Moses. And he says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He's saying this because they haven't been doing it for those 700 years. And God is about to judge them for that. And this is one of the many things one, among all the things that they weren't doing, like keeping the Sabbath, like honoring the Passover celebration, all of those things they weren't doing, this is the one that he brings up. And it includes oppression of and not bringing justice to the fatherless and taking up the widow's cause. Psalms 10, 17 and 18. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless. You realize in a home, if there's no father, it's a very defenseless place. Everybody's out for themselves. Everybody's got to do things that they wouldn't normally do that the father would do. I grew up with a father who was there. I can't imagine not having the security of his presence in our home. I can't imagine what it's like for so many. And we're going to see more about how many that involves. Hear the desire of the afflicted, you encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. So, let me ask you this question. First of all, let me just say this. This is a tiny sampling. This is one of the major teaching themes of the Old Testament, is care for the fatherless and the widow. It is not just a sidebar. It is not just mentioned once or twice. Tithing gets mentioned a few times in the Old Testament, and we build structures around it. It's an important thing. But it's not mentioned near as much as God's passion for the fatherless and the widow. So let me ask you, does that resonate? Does your heart resonate with that? First of all, do you let it in? I know you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, he's got an agenda. He's up to something. My conspiracy theory thinking is coming in here. He's going to try to make me do something I don't want to do. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you to let God speak to your heart. This isn't about Mick. It isn't about a program. This is about us as a church being aligned with who God is in our community. So, if we resonate with that, if we're willing to let God speak to us about having that mindset and having that concern, then what margin are you creating for the fatherless and the widow? What are we going to do for it? 
Because God gives them specific instructions. Check this out. At the end of every three years, again, these are the instructions before they go into the promised land. This is how God wants them to set up what he wants them to do. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. So by the way, and I mentioned that word tithe, we're not under the law, so tithing is a principle. It's an idea. It's not a mandatory kind of thing. It's not the way you earn your way to heaven. But in the Old Testament, people tithed once a year, 10%, and then every three years they tithed again. So there was, there was a lot of uh, expectation because the temple was the place that held what was there for the rest of the people who didn't have it. And that's exactly what he tells them. At the end of that year's uh, tithe of the produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Again, Deuteronomy a little bit later. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard and do not, do not go over the vines again, leave what remains for the fatherless, foreigner, fatherless, and the widow. Kind of repetitive, isn't it? When God repeats something, he's trying to make a point, isn't he? So, let me, I, I just wanted to point out here, this is a unique thing in the sense that the people of faith here were a nation of people, and their government was, their was centered around the temple. And so it was both a corporate responsibility as well as an individual responsibility. The corporate responsibility was to teach the principle. The corporate responsibility was to facilitate the distribution and to be concerned about it. And the individual responsibility was to make margin in your own consumption in order to do this. And to make margin in your time in order to care about people was what we would say in our day and age. Then thirdly, are you aware of the consequences of ignoring the fatherless? So Jesus might ask us that question at the judgment seat of Christ. Were you aware of this? And I'm going to make you aware so that you will say yes someday when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yes, I was aware. So what do I mean by being aware of that? The father absence crisis in America, this is information that is just mind-boggling to us if we really take it in. It says that 18.4 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father at home. Take that in. One out of four. I believe it because I saw this transition happening. This is based on Census Bureau statistics in 2022. This is not something from 30 years ago, but I remember 30 years ago when I started coaching and most of the children, I would say the majority that I coached, had an intact father of some kind in their home. And then by the time I had finished coaching in 2014, it was completely different. The kids from a, what we would call a nuclear home were a minority. 
and there was a difference in what those children could kind of absorb in terms of instruction, in terms of other things. So I've seen this. That's a startling statistic. And that's here in a country that is very prosperous. Why is it the case? Because of choices. But it's not the children's choices. It's not their fault. So research shows this. So these are the consequences that have been documented by research. This is from the, fa- uh, the, fatherhood, the National Fatherhood Initiative. And some of this is kind of quantified. Some of it is quantified, but I don't have the quantities here. But just take a look. Four times greater risk of poverty. And what comes with that? The potential to want to take their poverty into their own hands and maybe go out and do some vandalizing or, or um, stealing or whatever. Two times greater risk of infant mortality. The moms typically are not going to get the same kind of care if there's not a breadwinner in the home or there's not at least a partnership making that happen. More likely to go to prison. More likely to commit crime. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Seven times. More likely to face abuse and neglect. There's no protector. More likely to commit suicide. It's a crisis right now. More likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Two times more likely to suffer obesity. Two times more likely to drop out of school. And if they're experiencing obesity, imagine the mockery and the challenges that they're facing at school, which then immediately goes back up and leads to this suicide stuff. These things are all interconnected. And then dropping out of school because they don't want to take that. And then what's their prospects for the future? This is our challenge. We're the body of Christ. We're the ones that are supposed to be resonating with the heart of God about something that God has made crystal clear that he's passionate about. So I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm not here to shame us as a church or you as an individual. But I will say this. We have a tremendous opportunity through this ministry of Fathers in the Field to get connected to God's heart on this to be facilitated to do it. It's not rocket science. It's not that hard. It's about creating that margin and resonating with God. And there is a plan that will make this happen. And it's needed here in our culture. Deuteronomy 27, 19 says this. Here's here's another consequence. Because it's not just what happens in the culture that is a consequence. It's what happens to the body of Christ if we, ignore, if we ignore these things. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner and the fatherless or the widow. Then all the people shall say amen. This was part of what they called the blessings and the curses when the covenant was established between God and Israel. And what would happen was they had one mountain over here, one mountain over here. One was a mountain of blessing, one was a mountain of curses. They go through the blessings of what does it look like when you follow the instructions, including the instructions about caring for the fatherless and the widow. Well, there's going to be all kinds of blessing. God is going to be on your side. God is going to make things go well. What's going to happen if you don't? And it calls down the curses. In other words, it says you're disconnecting yourself from the blessing of God by disobedience disobedience to what God reveals as where where his heart lies is the way that we end up disconnected from God's blessing. 
And that's why they use the word cursed. It's not some kind of a pagan curse. It's just disconnecting from God. So now let's check down 300 years past when Isaiah said, look, you need to get this straight. What happens in that 300 years? Israel's taken captive because they don't listen to Isaiah. They're taken captive. They're made slaves in Babylon. They're made slaves in Assyria. The northern kingdom goes to Assyria. The southern kingdom goes to Babylon. And Israel is just wiped out in essence. And Malachi is a prophet who, when they are released from captivity and allowed to go back into the nation of Israel, and they get back there, and the same kinds of things keep cropping up. They're still ignoring. And it says, so I will come to put you on trial. When their Messiah comes, they think that he's just going to be this conquering king that's going to allow them to do things, but he's a conquering king who has an agenda of their righteousness before God. And he says, I will come to you to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers. Yeah, we don't have any of those, right? I don't think anybody in here is doing incantations. Hopefully not. If you are, let's talk about it, and maybe we can help you with that problem. Uh, Adulterers and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages. And we sit here and we say, wow, yeah, I'm doing pretty good so far. I don't think I'm up to any of those who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me. In other words, we should be concerned about this. Now, in the Old Testament, Malachi didn't understand the cross. He didn't understand that this is, you know, a different kind of judgment. For them, that was an indication of their faith. Believe that God will give you the margin to be able to care for the fatherless and the widow. Says the Lord God Almighty. We have a final exam. It's coming. See, in our church, we have this. We've we've been studying this one. Let's read this out loud together, the vision. In a broken world, we exist to love God and to love others as Jesus has loved us. Who are the others from God's perspective? Well, it's, it's your family. It's your neighbors. It's your co-workers, your students, your teachers, people that you're involved in life with. It's all of them. But I would make the case, and trust me, I only used a small sampling of the many verses that you would find. But I will make the case that those others include the fatherless and the widows. And there's lots of them around us. There are lots of them. Sometimes it's from a death. Sometimes it's from abandonment. Sometimes it's from, you know, imprisonment, whatever it might be. But it's, it's there. It's here. And our mission, what are we supposed to be doing? Bringing Christ's compassion to people at the crossroads of life. We've had this mission for the almost 25 years that we've been in existence. Who are the people at the crossroads of life? I can't think of anybody who's at more of a crossroads, more of a difficult circumstance than someone who is of a young age and fatherless. When I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy, around my third year, or my second year, I got involved in Big Brothers. And I was a big brother to a young man who was like 11 years old, African-American kid. He had two younger brothers. His mom was a school teacher trying to make ends meet, single, single mother, you know, dealing with his father had just recently abandoned him within a year or so of when I, when I became his big brother. 
brought him up here, did things with him, walked around, hung out with him, thanked the Lord. He ended up getting a, a job out of high school and doing some really good things and just, you know, was a productive member of society. His middle brother, who was about two or three years younger, ended up in trouble all the time. Now, his younger brother, who got connected to the Baptist campus ministry guy who led the ministry that I was involved in, got him connected and got him involved in Baptist campus ministry and, and really became a mentor and a father to this kid. He went on to get a master's degree and travels all over the world in a very high management position of those three boys. One went downward, two at least made some progress because someone stepped into their life. So, is that it? Yeah. I want to take a minute here as I close. How are we doing? Oh, we're not too bad. So, Mike Parrott Gentile, would you stand over there? This is Mike Parrott Gentile. He is a representative of Fathers in the Field. He's going to be in the lobby after the service. And especially, I want to encourage any of you who this may have spoken to your heart about how you can get involved. There's various ways to do that. He's going to be going through that at noon today. We'll have some food. We'll have time for him to answer your questions about how this works. And right next to him is Scott Potosa. Scott has been involved in this without knowing. Come on, Scott, stand up. Scott, uh, even with your bad knees. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you'll notice that you have to have, wear a skinhead haircut, and you have to be pretty buff to be a part of this. No, just kidding. You don't have to look as buff as Mike and Scott. Uh, you know, we take all kinds to be involved in this. But they'll explain to you what this means. But in essence, it means spending time outside of a home environment where you can get guys out for hiking, for hunting, for fishing, for skiing, for biking, playing golf. Whatever it is that you do outside, you can do with someone who doesn't have a father in their home. And that's, that's the intention of this. So I just want to encourage you, if you will, to consider it, to think about it. You don't have to make a decision today, but I think, how do you make a decision without getting the information? Please come back at noon, hear what this is about, and ask yourself, can I answer these questions better by the end of this day? Would you stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so grateful that your heart is for those that we often find it hard to care about. We, we get so absorbed in our own lives. We get so absorbed in taking care of our own families. And that was the case 3,500 years ago when Moses wrote these things, reflecting your heart. You inspired him by your spirit to write these very words and to convey this message of your passion for those who are fatherless and widows. And so I pray, God, today that this would be a launching point from, from this day on where we as a church would be able to answer these questions in a positive way. That we would say, yes, we resonate with your heart. Yes, we are making margin. And yes, we understand the consequences when the fatherless are left alone and not helped. So God, use us, speak to us, illuminate us, and motivate us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We get into this last.